present. You're now listening to the Working Poet Radio Show. I'm your host, Joseph Lapp, and I'm here with Les Stanford. Les is the author of Water to the Angels, William Mulholland, his monumental aqueduct, and the rise of Los Angeles. He's the best-selling author of 20 books and novels, including the John Deal Mystery Series and the works of narrative history, The Man Who Invented Christmas and The Last Train to Paradise. He is the director of the Creative Writing Program at Florida International University, one of the best creative writing programs out there, and where he lives with his wife, Kimberly, a psychotherapist and artist. Les, thanks for being here. Oh, my pleasure, Joe. Great. So let's talk about the book. Let's talk about what most people think about Mulholland Drive. Can you contrast to me how people envision Mulholland Drive and how you've come to learn who he is? Well, you go up on Mulholland Drive, you look out over the San Fernando Valley or the L.A. Basin, and you must... and these gazillion dollar houses are all around you and you probably figure some people who don't know figure Mulholland must have been a developer or a politician uh, to be credited with his name on this highway of all one of the most spectacular highways on earth but the truth is he was a public servant a guy who never made more than fifteen thousand dollars a year although that was pretty high for a water commissioner back when he was doing his work and that work involved as water commissioner, the crowning masterpiece of his career, finding a source of water for a city that was tapped out. A hundred thousand people, Los Angeles is destined to be never any bigger than Santa Barbara, San Luis Obispo, uh, San Juan Capistrano, it looked like. And he moved a river all the way from north central California, east of the Sierra Nevada, brought it across 235 miles of desert, across canyons, through mountains, over this terrible terrain. And that water was the life stuff upon which Los Angeles became what it is today. If it hadn't been for William Mulholland, there wouldn't be a Los Angeles as we know it today. And uh, it's not only an important story, it's a fascinating story. But you call him, so what I think would surprise people with what you just said and what he was able to accomplish, he didn't have a college degree. You call him a blue-collar worker. Tell me about his background as this guy who pulled himself up from the bootstraps. Well, he was born in Belfast and uh, came to the United States from Ireland when he was 18 years old, jumped ship in New York, worked at a bunch of itinerant jobs, ended up as a dry goods clerk in Pittsburgh. and family were leaving Pittsburgh because they had, uh, there was history of tuberculosis and they heard about the climate of Southern California and that's where they were headed. And Mulholland stowed away on the ship that was going through, going around the isthmus. Uh, uh, at that time, there, were, uh, there was no uh, Panama Canal. Going to go around uh, the Cape all the way to uh, Los Angeles, then a small town of about a thousand people was discovered, got thrown off the ship in Panama, walked across the Panama uh, uh, Isthmus to the other side, talked himself and his brother on board a ship as sailors. They ended up in Los Angeles and he went to work as a ditch digger. When they were digging a well, the well bit hit something and broke 600 feet under the surface of the uh, desert. They brought the bit up 
and the foreman said, oh, it's another one of those petrified trees we just struck. Mulholland said, how does a tree get 600 feet below the surface of the earth? The guy said, oh, go get a book out of the library. It'll tell you all you need to know. And that's what Mulholland did, self-educated himself, worked his way up to become a water engineer, finally supervisor of the private water company when it was bought out by the government by the uh, city uh, commission, county commission of Los Angeles. They brought William Mulholland along with it because it was known that nobody understood more about water in that part of the world than William Mulholland did. And water was such a valuable resource, always was in the West. In the eastern part of the United States, it's usually too much water. We're talking about floods. And uh, in the West, however, you could only live where there was a ready source of water. And there were, uh, San Francisco at the time was far and away the most important city in California because it had a source of water from the mountains, had a viable source of water that looked like it was going to be able to sustain a population of 500,000 or a million people. But L.A. is a desert community and the L.A. River is pitiful. I mean, most people know it today as a concrete ditch. Mm -hmm. that occasionally has a little uh, water in it, if it does rain. They figured that the L.A. River could only support a population of about 100,000 people. And they had reached that max shortly after Mulholland had become water superintendent. This is at the turn of the 20th century. And uh, the, the hunt was on for a source of water that would allow the city to, to grow. I mean, basically, you know, Mulholland seems to have made Los Angeles possible, but his first job where he got promoted from Ditch Digger, there's a good story where he kind of talks back to the foreman. Can you tell me about that story? <laughs> sure. He's out uh, near the uh, Glendale Narrows, in uh, not far from where Chavez, uh, uh, the, the Dodger Stadium is in Chavez Ravine today, cleaning out a ditch. And... Uh, Somebody, a guy on a horse stopped and asked him what he was doing. And Mulholland looked up. Uh, he was a no-nonsense fellow and said, none of your goddamn business. The guy rides away. Somebody, a co-worker, ran up to Mulholland and said, do you know who you were just talking to? He said, no. He said, that's the owner of the this water company that you're working for. Mulholland shrugged, put his sh uh, a shovel down, and walked downtown to the office to get what he was sure was going to be a severance pay. And when he went up to the uh, chief clerk and told her who he was, she looked in some paperwork and said, Oh, you're the man that the boss just promoted to foreman of that district. <laughs> <laughs> he appreciated, uh, he had watched Mulholland, I guess, uh, working, working hard and working well and uh, wasn't bothered by the fact that, uh, in fact, might have liked it that he didn't want some uh, stranger distracting him from his work. And mm. that led to Mulholland's eventual rise through the ranks. Now, this show, we're about exploring the work and lives of creative people. Uh -huh. And certainly this book is about exploring his, but do you think Mulholland is a creative. Oh, absolutely. Mulholland is a creator. He was the one willing to think outside the box that Los Angeles felt they were in. There was another person, an individual named Fred Eaton, who was a former mayor of Los Angeles and a kind of a developer. 
and had always talked about the possibility of bringing the Owens River down from the Owens Valley, uh, as I say, about 230 miles from Los Angeles. He, he wanted to, Owens thought uh, uh, that you could, or excuse me, uh, Eaton thought you could bring the water down into the desert uh, around where Mojave is, around Death Valley, and irrigate that land and turn it into a desert uh, farming paradise. Over time, he came to realize that uh, the real money was on the development, not of the Mojave Desert, but Los Angeles. And so he went to Mulholland to say, I think there might be a way to get this water all the way, not just 100 miles to Mojave, but uh, all the way to Los Angeles. What do you think? And at the time, when he first proposed it, Mulholland took him as a crackpot. But as it got worse and worse, and Mulholland uh, systematically ruled out every other source of water anywhere within 250 miles of Los Angeles, he began to realize it was, hmm, either do the impossible or quit, give up, and and uh, resign yourself to a life, a media, mediocrity, or <clears throat> life as a, a city of a, a resort town or, or some such. Now, you know, there is a lot, even though this is clearly focused on Mulholland, there's an element of your life in here and your journey, too. Was there a moment for you, too, when you came to Los Angeles where you had that moment, that epiphany of, I'm going to do something special, I'm going to do something bigger? Tell me about your creative journey when you came to Los Angeles. Well, when I came to Los Angeles, it was to study at the American Film Institute. I uh, wanted to be part of the film industry, wanted to learn how to write uh, screenplays. And obviously, wanting to be part of that industry means signing up with a very powerful, uh, creative organization. There's enough room in the filmmaking community for any kind of filmmaker, uh, any level of artist to join up and be part of something that touches millions and millions of lives. Excuse me. And uh, so that's what I wanted to do. And you get out there and, and uh, you share in, whether you're actively working in that industry, a sense of the amazement of things that are happening. Some magnificent films that do get made and Chinatown uh, have been made shortly before I got out there. And it was an incredible work of the imagination. And you say to yourself, how do these things get done? I want to be a part of that process. And it's parallel to the process of writing, too. That when making a movie is tantamount to making a successful book, a matter of finding your audience and constructing it, learning how to construct uh, it properly. And it's not easy. Uh, of the movie business, uh, someone has said it's a miracle that any film ever gets, uh, any good film ever gets made. There's so many people involved, the, co the process is so complex. But I think in a uh, smaller way, that's the same uh, holds true for writing a novel. Novel's a very complex engineered uh, system and it, you have to learn engineering and math, <laughs> the engineering and the math of the creative process. It's not all just inspiration, that's what I learned. But at any rate, just being in Southern California was inspiring to me because I saw a place that had come from nothing and had become this amazing uh, city, despite what Woody Allen thinks of it. Uh, you know, Los Angeles is an extremely important place. 
that place just didn't happen. It was created by the efforts of certain individuals and no more important one to uh, exert his creative thinking than William Mulholland. So in a strange way, you're absolutely right. This is part and parcel of what's always fascinated me and what I've wanted to do and why I like to write about people who dare to dream big and say, I can't. Everybody else says it's impossible, but I can do it. I think I've got a way. But so you grew up in Ohio. And I did. How did that? Con- how did Los Angeles contrast Ohio? And <laughs> when did you find that you could dream big like that? Well, I was a kid who grew up in Ohio who always knew I was going to leave Ohio because it didn't seem like uh, there were a lot. That you know, the frontier was closed in Ohio, but there was still a sense of go west, young man, when I grew up. And uh, Los Angeles creatively seemed to offer that uh, that possibility. I didn't know that. People, uh, not too many people were into books and reading as compared to filmmaking. Uh, I wasn't aware of how dominant the uh, film industry is in the creative world uh, out there. But nonetheless, that's what exuded, uh, wafted all the way back from the West Coast to me in Ohio. And I always knew I wanted to go out there. I lived right out of college. I lived for uh, two or three years. Then. Uh, went to graduate school in Utah, still in the West, <clears throat> got a degree in writing, graduate degrees in writing, MA and a PhD, took a job at the University of Texas at El Paso, and after 10 years of doing that said, you know, I still haven't gotten LA out of my system. I went back to the American Film Institute, and that's where I tell people that I learned how to write well at the University of Utah. I learned how to tell a story at the American Film Institute. As William Goldman has famously said, screenplays are structure. He means screenplays are first and foremost their story, and everything else hangs off of that. And it had never been put to me that way, the centrality of the narrative uh, structure of any good book. And once I—it took a while to figure that out, to accept it, and even longer to learn how to do it. But when I left the American Film Institute, I was uh, in 1985, came back from California to teach in Florida. I was a fellow who'd written some stories and poems and articles and essays and published them, but no books. Well, in 1990, I published my first novel based, uh, and I would not have done it, would not have been able to do it if it were not for what I learned at AFI. And I'm sitting here with 23 books now, uh, 25 years later. So one last question. Every person that's come in here today and over the course of the show along their creative journey had a moment where they recognized that maybe they were an outsider, that they were different from the community they were growing up. They needed to get out. They needed to express themselves creatively. Even Mulholland had that. What was it for you? I think it went way back to high school in Ohio when I turned in a story to my English teacher and uh, she said, oh, well, this is uh, very good. It doesn't have anything to do with the assignment. And I said, well, yeah, but isn't everybody writing story?" She said, you're the only one who's trying to get your credit for this class by t- turning in something you made up. 
And I realized, wait a minute, I'm the only one? How can this be? I think that was the, the glimmer, first glimmering. I always thought I would be a writer on the side, that I'd be a lawyer or a doctor or something and steal some time like William Carlos Williams to write a poem or Wallace Stevenson. To, uh, I suddenly realized that they're the rare exceptions, that if you want to write, you want to succeed as a writer, and you want to have the writing life, you commit to the writing life. And uh, I snuck up on it little by little until I dropped out of law school and saying to myself, you know what, uh, these, all this sense of a practical life, a practical job, it's just not going to work for me. The only place you're going to be happy, Les, is in the writing world. And uh, I signed up, uh, got a fellowship, won a fellowship to a writer's conference at the University of Utah for a summer writer's conference. They asked me to stay on as a TA for the fall. I went out and found an apartment, got myself a Labrador Retriever, and I never looked back. Great. You are no longer listening to the Working Poet Radio Show. Les, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Joe.